Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. John chapter 1, John writes these words. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. These days the world is absolutely full of people arguing about truth. People argue about truth on social media. It seems like that's all that platform is good for anymore, is people arguing about what their version of truth is and how everyone else should be listening to them. And politics. Obviously, our nation is divided over what is truth and where do we receive that truth. And sadly, terrorists all over the world are willing to kill in order to share their truth. But here, in the opening of John's Gospel, it reminds us what is so special about what we have. What is so special about Jesus. First of all, John says, where did he come from? Well, he came from the Father. The Father sent him. He was full of grace and truth, John says. We see in Jesus, in his teachings, in his life, grace and truth are combined. And his message and the message that we share to the world is how the power of grace and truth can walk hand in hand, first in Jesus' life, and then in his and ours, our, his followers. So we can learn something from Jesus, from these passages, on how to walk our walk in the world, in this life, in grace and truth. Today, in the fourth week, in the final week of our four-week series on God's grace, we're going to learn directly from Jesus about the power of our spoken truth, but spread in grace and peace. Some people, some Christians, they emphasize grace over truth. Others emphasize truth over grace. But Jesus showed us they're connected, that apart from grace, we cannot really speak the truth. And apart from knowing the truth, we are not really speaking a word of grace. Now, the peace of God comes when grace and truth are aligned and joined. And in Jesus, we have our perfect model, our perfect example. As John's gospel continues, even with more grace language, he says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, and you could keep going, grace upon grace upon grace, every day of our life. I believe John was searching for a way to communicate that God's grace is multi-layered, one on top of the other. If we walk for him, with him for a while, we're going to discover that God invites us, in C.S. Lewis' beautiful phrase, to come further in and further up. But take note. If you and I are determined to think of grace as merely our ticket to heaven, there is no further up and further in for us, either in this life or the next. If we treat grace as a binary, either we have it or we don't, it's a yes or no, on or off, then we are shorting ourselves for what God has in store for us in this life. Why would we come to the shores of God's grace only to dip our toes in the ocean? You ever gone to the ocean and only dipped your toes in? No, you want to go up at least to your ankles, if not higher. You want to swim if it's warm enough, right? 
Now, one sure indicator of a religiously closed mind is the firm opinion that we've got this Jesus stuff all figured out. You'll never hear that. Not from this place. We don't have this Jesus stuff all figured out. If we did have it all figured out, we would have no need for Jesus. We would have no need to be here on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night or a Wednesday at 7 o'clock for our Ash Wednesday service. See how I did that? (laughs) The religiously closed mind is interested only in distributing its brand of truth, telling others how it needs to be done. But friends, it's impossible to drink from God's grace if we do nothing but tell others how to do it. James chapter 4, verse 6 reminds us this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. More grace, greater grace, all the more grace. I believe James was probably speaking from experience here and not just theory. I believe he discovered the multi-layered grace of God further up and further in as he learned to humble himself over and over. How do we learn to humble ourselves? (laughs) Because when we don't humble ourselves, either God will humble, humble us for ourselves or we will learn the hard way. Because when we humble ourselves, as we learned last week, we position ourselves to receive a greater grace. We create an atmosphere of peace that then allows us to speak the truth, but filled with grace. Did you know that the Apostle Paul opened each one of his letters to his various congregations with a very similar greeting? Thirteen times he says some variation of grace and peace to you. Each of Paul's letters opens this way. Thirteen times. Now some people have said, well, this is just a generic salutation from Paul. This is just his normal way that he greets people. But even if that's true, even if it's just a formality, These words are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Have you thought about that? Our lesson from Peter read earlier today said something very similar. Even the salutations from Paul are God-breathed. They're part of inspired scripture. So why would Paul, why would this great man of God greet everyone in this way? What is so important about grace and peace that Paul would feel the need to speak those words immediately? Well, perhaps we could start with this assertion. Maybe Paul greeted everyone with grace and peace because he understood our ongoing need for both of them. Can you ever have enough? (laughs) No. He was writing to believers, and he wished for them more grace and more peace in their lives. I believe Paul was writing these congregations, giving each of them grace upon grace because those things were his to give out. We hear Jesus when he sent the original 12 on their first evangelistic mission. In Luke chapter 10, he told them, whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. Shalom, how they would say it. Now Jesus had in mind something more than simply words, a nice greeting. He observed that this greeting of peace could rest upon the people of the house, or if they didn't receive it, it could return back to the disciple. This peace that Jesus instructed the disciples to give, therefore, was something real, something tangible. No less tangible than handing someone a loaf of bread and inviting them to eat it. 
And decades later, Paul, a follower of Jesus, wrote to the various churches of God scattered across the Roman world, and his first words to them were, grace and peace. Now, Paul possessed grace and peace. Apparently, he realized he had a surplus of it, that he could give it away each time he greeted someone or wrote a letter to someone. In many cases, Paul was the planter of the church to which he wrote. And the things that he wrote, many times encouraging the good things that were happening in that congregation, but sometimes he had to offer correction when things weren't going so well. For anyone who has given any thought to it, God's peace and God's grace should be prized higher than just about anything in this world. Because what else do we need than that? Now, many of Paul's churches, they faced persecution from the outside, and they also experienced some disagreements on the inside. All of them needed grace and peace in their lives. These things were so important that Paul presented these gifts right up front as he wrote to these congregations, just as a guest would upon entering a house. Paul wanted his friends, fellow believers, to experience God's grace and peace, to realize it was there and available. And when necessary, he even included words of reproof, words of correction, right after he gave grace and peace. Now, from our perspective, centuries later, we understand that each letter was a word from God, both then as well as now. Those people who first heard the words that Paul of Paul read aloud in that congregation, they had a choice. They could do one of two things. They could either listen beyond the mere words of the letter and in so doing receive grace and peace. You see, he's pulling the earplug out, not putting it in. The next one is the other choice. You could either pull your earplug out or you could put an earplug in. You could refuse to receive the grace of God and the peace of God like the householders in Luke chapter 10. So then what about us? How often does God's grace and peace show up in our lives only to be misunderstood, misaligned, mistranslated? Maybe we don't recognize it. We should ask ourselves, are we able to receive the words from our loved ones as God's grace and peace in our lives? Do we ever consider the instruction that we receive from those in authority over us might have the potential to bring us God's peace? Hmm. No, officer, I wasn't speeding. And maybe he has something to say to me that will give me grace and peace in my life. Sad to say, the world is a terrible trainer in this regard. The world teaches us that we can go right along with whatever's being said until they say something that's against my worldview. And then I'm going to close them off. I'm going to cancel them, turn them down. The world tells me that I don't have to accept anything that I don't like, don't want to deal with, or even consider. I have the right to think my own way, and you have the right to be... Well, wrong. That's the way the world teaches us. That's not God's way. And Paul's words were not only about receiving, his greetings were examples of what we have to give as Christians, especially what we have to give others. Have we received some measure of grace and peace in our lives? We've received a large measure of mercy, grace, and peace in our lives. Therefore, 
What should we be doing those, with those things? Jesus said, freely you've received, therefore freely give. If you have received anything from God, then you have that in abundance to give. And don't worry, you're not going to run out of grace. If God has given you in any area of your life some sort of peace, share that. Maybe somebody has learned the secret of being content when it comes to financial matters, and others of us need that contentment. Maybe another disciple has learned how to place their everyday fears at the feet of Jesus, and others of us need to know how to do that ourselves in our lives. Maybe another has learned how to deal with anxiety by trusting on the foundation of the peace of God, and there's many of us that need to know that peace as well. Do we ever consider that the peace that we've received in the walk with God might be the very thing that we need to teach one another? God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others, both inside this space as well as outside. Because our everyday lives are no different than the time in which Paul wrote to those believers. Words of grace and peace are not mere formalities. They are ours to give others. And when we have the opportunity to give, give. We can have it in abundance and we can share it in abundance because our friends, our neighbors in the world desperately need grace and peace in their lives. We've learned over the last four weeks that grace is abundant and it's free. And yet there are still obstacles to receiving grace. Even more startlingly, we are sometimes the very obstacles and opponents to grace in our lives. Because in order to bring grace and peace, we need to take a few minutes and think about our attitude, our heart, our witness, our capabilities. Because when we have conflicts with grace, it can be like storm fronts in our heart. I've had a few such storms in my heart over my lifetime. You probably have as well. I'm going to give just two examples. There are more examples, but the two big examples of what are obstacles to grace, and I wonder if either of these may apply to you today. The first opponent to grace we're going to talk about is bitterness. The author of Hebrews chapter 12 writes it this way. Again, writing to believers, God's people, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness is an obstacle to grace. Because when we're hurt and we've turned bitter, we are a wounded heart, and so often that wounded heart wants to turn inward, and it avoids anything, even receiving grace. I want to be alone in my pain. I want to sit and wallow for a while in it. But if we've been around for a while, we understand that aloneness is an illusion. As this passage from Hebrews warns us, that apart from the grace of God, bitterness and unsettled scores and hurts, they can seep into those others around us, even those that we love dearly. My bitterness can taint others. Have you thought about it that way? So we need grace to endure suffering, even in the everyday slights of our life. In our pain, when we refuse grace, the taint that we have seeps out into others. Because face it, how easy is it to remain peaceful in my own life if someone that I care for won't let it go in theirs? 
All the while here, we're thinking that we're suffering in silence and solitude all on our own, unaware that when one member of the body suffers, all members suffer. The second opponent to grace I'm going to talk about today is scarcity. Now, scarcity, it's not a word that I love here, except I look through the thesaurus, and it's about the only word that comes to mind to capture my thought. The second opponent of grace is my fear that grace is a zero-sum game, that somehow grace is prepackaged in fixed amounts, and there's not going to be enough to go around, so I need to hoard it for myself. My mind has yet to inform my heart that his mercy endures how long? For today, for tomorrow? No, his mercy endures forever and comes in limitless supply. I'm that little sparrow who thinks that his own small breaths are going to consume all the oxygen in the sky. I think that whatever grace I find, I've got to keep it for myself, because who knows if I'm going to be able to get more. Yet we know from Jesus that if the Father clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for those of us who need those things? And grace is important for us. So the critical truth is that when I share the grace I've received, and I have received grace, I discover the source of all grace who gives it without limit. And then it can come down even more. When I realize that, it comes down even more through me and out to others. And I have more and more to give. And part of this good news is that there is more grace, just as our writing earlier said. More grace. Grace for today. Grace for tomorrow. Grace for more than simply being forgiven from my sins, which is a good thing. But God wants to provide grace in the everyday. Grace for growth. Grace for encouragement. Grace for strengthening. Grace and peace represent more than just something that we need. They are the needs of everyone that we meet in this world. Sure, I need those things. But look at those other people. They really need it. Do you wish grace and peace on others? Or you just kind of turn a blind eye? It probably depends on the day, if you're like me. Do you believe that we have grace to give and grace in abundance? Because what are we, if not a community of grace? We need to understand that God has put together and Jesus has founded the church for purposes, many purposes. This is a place that we can cultivate peace and grace, and truth. Grace can grow and flourish in a community, but not just any community. Now, this message is so difficult for our world because just the church, established religion, is not always given a great perspective out in the world. But the same Father God who has adopted us into his family intends that we should live together as a family. It's a difficult message in modern times because the church of Jesus that we see out there is largely out of joint, out of whack. We have created a Christendom where we can choose churches the way most people decide on where they're going to eat tonight. By most estimates, there are more than 25,000 Christian denominations. Some of those maybe not be quite Christian, but that number is huge. That's not churches. That's denominations of which the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is just one. How can we grow in grace if we are free to wander around from one family of faith to another, depending on what we happen to be in the mood for? 
I know this isn't a new story. You ask nearly any Christian and you'll hear, hear reasons why they left one church or another or why their family has moved on from another church. Maybe it's church drama. Maybe it's church infighting. Maybe it's church splits. Maybe it's church closing down. And friends, it doesn't have to be like this. Let's listen carefully to what Peter said in his first letter, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. He said to us, to a family of believers, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I want to grumble. That's what we do in this world. We grumble. What do we see on the nightly news? We see grumbling. I want to grumble. But Peter says, no, don't do it. He continues, as each has received a gift, you've all received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. It might be easy to miss grace in this passage, so let's make it a little easier for them, please, Debbie. Thank you. Grace, uppercase and underline. Right there in the middle of the passage where it ought to be, always. Our words and our actions are practical examples of God's love, of his hospitality, of our service out into the community. We extend grace to one another precisely because of what we received from God. And the beautiful conclusion to this passage, which many of you are waiting for, is feeds into our great commission work. That we love each other and multiply peace to one another. Yes, and we do it in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Chokes me up. Wonderful, beautiful message. So among our families at home, among our family of faith here at Zion, we are called to be caretakers of grace and peace and truth. And let's face it, too often we have become merely consumers of grace and peace and truth. And it has led to a worldwide church for every taste and every preference that any consumer could ever imagine. Not only does grace grow in this community that we call church, it grows in the most unlikely of places. It grows amongst us, the people with shortcomings and hypocrisies and failings. That's why we practice it in here, and then we take it out there. Because face it, if everyone in the church had his or her act together, what need would there be to extend grace? If we all had our act together, if we all had it figured out, we wouldn't need to give God's grace to each other at all. The Apostle Peter calls us to use our gifts in service to one another. We steward our grace in the way that we speak and act towards others in church. Have you thought about grace as a stewardship? If you haven't, then here's a wonderful exercise. Try reading the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 and Luke 19. Not right now. Read it later. But the parable of the talents, the master leaves something of great worth with his servants. Substitute grace for gold here. And when he returns, he looks to see whether the servants have been using that grace for gold. And best of all is the reward. 
Matthew's version of the parable says the master not only praises the good steward, he then extends an invitation for the steward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, he says. Yeah, when we distribute the grace of God, we not only receive praise for it, but something more, an invitation to enter into his joy, and not just the joy of heaven, the joy of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Through grace, joy will increase for everyone. It's not enough to wait till we get to heaven. We can have that now. So as we conclude our four-week study on this topic of God's grace, I pray that you have, as I have, come to see where your view of grace may be a bit too narrow. God's grace brings forgiveness, yes, and I'm so glad that it does. But as we've covered in so many areas of Scripture, there is so much more available in God's grace. Available in your day-to-day life, available in your witness, available in your attitude and interactions. Now, if you've got the means, take advantage of the technology. We've got all four weeks of this series online. Maybe you missed one week. Maybe you need to brush up on something. What did Pastor Dan say in week two that was so insightful and witty? I need to go back and listen to that again. (laughs) There are lessons here for each one of us, myself included. And I pray as we come to the conclusion that grace may abound in your life in an even greater measure than before. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.